0: Just imagine, for each and every belief and perspective that you have, whether it's your belief about how safe the world is, or your perspective on how lucky or unlucky you are, there's an archetype setting up experiences that feed directly into those very belief systems, validating them. But what if you could renegotiate your relationship with an archetype, to change a belief that isn't serving you? Would a new set of experiences that reflect that change manifest? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what it depends on who's looking the archetype project is all about. It helps you to address what's not working in your life by inviting you to come and get to know the archetypes, those magnificent, energetic forces that influence your every thought, feeling, and action, and then work with them to affect those changes in your life that you would like to see. Begin your journey with the archetypes today archetypes, today archetypes, today archetypes, today archetypes. Hello, Susan? Yes. Hi, it's Eugenia. Thanks for sending me your life chart, archetype life chart. It's funny because (laughs) I don't know if you get this too, but when you look at people's life charts or what astrologers would call a birth chart, um, do you notice that it it reflects the, the person to you? Like from some other angle of perception that makes sense to us who can read it. Right that it really does it's like a snapshot of the person it looks like them, yes, yeah, you're. Yeah,
1: I have, <laughs> and it it's a sometimes it's an oh, of course <laughs> that yeah. makes that makes perfect sense
0: totally, or like you know yeah. when somebody gets a a medicine name they receive a they receive a name and then you just get to see kind of who they really are,
1: yes, mm-hmm,
0: it's like that. Yeah. I, as I'm looking at your chart, I'm like, "Oh, wow. <laughs> I think I've only ever seen one other person with this many archetypes in the receptive position." Oh. And that's my friend's baby. <laughs>
1: oh, <laughs> how how nice for your friend. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I thought for tonight that we could take the opportunity just to really like explore your story and kind of take it through an archetypal lens. So I thought it'd be interesting to hear you kind of share stories from your life, but then add some perspectives about what what those stories, um, you know, how they look through an archetypal lens or just kind of go off talking about about this and that archetype and your experience with the archetypes and how you perceive those energies from your perspective and really there's no there's no concrete format that we need to follow it's just really casual and conversational and we could start anywhere we could kind of like do a little do kind of like a biographical thing to start and have you kind of talk a little bit about yourself, or we could just maybe jump in talking about an archetype and see where it flows. Like, for oh. example, when I when I think of you, the first story that comes to my mind is imagining you on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial at the time of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. doing his I Have a Dream speech, and it blows my mind that I know someone who was there at that time. Right. And that's so cool. So, like, you have a thousand of those, you know?
1: Okay. Well, I grew up in the United States, and I was a member of a family who believed in social justice and taking action to support their beliefs. Both my parents were like that. Um, And we were encouraged to speak up and take action when we saw injustice going on around us. And when I was uh, 12, I guess, the main issue that seemed to predominate was the uh, nuclear disarmament, and I remember we lived in on Long Island, Uh, No, sorry, we lived in White Plains, New York. Mm. And we went in as a family. We went in and were part of a protest outside the United Nations demanding that the United States and other nations um, disarm their nuclear arsenals. And that was fun, and I remember it primarily because there was a man walking along the line singing. he had a banjo, and he was singing, "Study war, no more." And he got everybody going. It was really <laughs> amazing. I found out later it was Pete Seeger, <laughs> so I was then I wasn't surprised it was amazing. Oh, um, cool. But that was the first uh cause that I was involved in. And then, as I moved into my teen years, I became involved in the civil rights movement, and then in the peace movement because of the war in Vietnam. And so, each one of these, um, each one of these movements, uh, I felt very. It was very important that I speak up and that I take action on them. And so when I look back now, um, especially from an archetypical point of view, uh, I see that that, uh, the influence of the Zeus of um, high expectation and of morality and being um, very out there was a huge influence in that early life and that I was in some ways kind of set up for that. I mean, I, I chose to belong to a family where those uh, expectations were the norm. Mm. And that, at the when I also, when I look back on it, I realize that I didn't do a lot of the things that teenagers do, um, because My life, and I wasn't the only teenager involved, but my life was involved with um, working for things I believed in and being on committees and that kind of thing. I had a lot of training in that as a teenager. Um, and because I lived in the United States, I had friends who died in Southeast Asia, and I had friends who went to jail because they wouldn't go to Southeast Asia so uh i had i just it was a very intense period of my life then uh I married a man who was a who had moved to Canada as a draft dodger, so I immigrated to Canada. And there weren't as many causes so large. There are still causes. There is still important social justice work that needs to be done, but it isn't on as intense a scale because there are more opportunities through through the political system and through other organizations who are addressing issues Um, and also I became busy as a mother and supporting my family and that kind of thing. So my life kind of moved away from that kind of intense involvement, Uh, although I still was involved in things like the status of women. Uh, I worked at the University of Calgary, and I was on the Status of Women Committee. I was on the Anti-Sexual Harassment Committee, so I still did the work, but it It was much more um, structured and in some ways less exciting, but also I felt we were accomplishing more. And so that period of my life, and I raised my kids. I was a single mom eventually, and uh, so that also took up a lot of my time. And that was when I decided that I had to get a university degree, which also is a very Zeus thing, a real um, emphasis on higher education. So uh, when I reached the point where I became acquainted with the archetypes, it was amazing to me when I could look at my life chart and see the influence of Zeus who is about grandeur and morals and expectations and um, higher education and growth, because those were all things I was very aware of. Yeah, being, I... being, yeah, being introduced to the archetypes though also led me to look at some of the other archetypes and see how that, uh, you know, where in my life they came in. Zeus, which in my chart is very strong and it's being encouraged, um, is um, made me really, um, that kind of hit me first because it seemed the most familiar. But now that I've, uh, now I'm looking at other the other archetypes and saying, oh, Well, that explains this, and maybe I should journey to this archetype and find out more about that aspect and that kind of thing. In particular, Eris, um, the god of war and masculinity, for me is in uh, Anya, and Anya is about um, being uh, internal and old soul energy and looking into yourself so i found that very interesting because i would have said before i understood about the archetypes that in fact when i first learned about the archetypes i really resisted the idea that i would have any influence in me at all from the god of war because (laughs) i was a pacifist when i was a kid and i was like how could that be but when I look at my chart, it's perfectly obvious that this is the strength and the determination is is um, and the uh, desire for uh, taking action and protecting my family and everything is it's all internal for me. Whereas for other people, it tends to be more show up more externally. So those were two particular archetypes that I felt I really, when I first was involved with it, I thought it really was helpful for me to journey to them and and study them and see how they had uh, informed my life.
0: Well, that's so interesting because um, when I think of you, I think of Zeus because of your affiliation with him, I guess, right? right? Like You've always expressed this connection to Zeus and I just see you as deeply embodying a Zeus energy and then looking at your chart for the first time um, I was noticing that Zeus is the only archetype in your chart that is um, well supporting so has more energy coming to coming through it or to it than any of the other archetypes, right? So you've yeah. got all of your archetypes in a receptive position. You've got one magic in a challenging position. And then one Zeus in a supporting position. So you've got all this Zeus energy and then all the other kind of archetypes are you know, just like hanging out, offering <laughs> up their energy to some degree, but, you know, they're yeah. they're pretty yeah, when, I, chill. When, when I
1: need when you need me, I'm here. Mm-hmm. Kind of, but Zeus is like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, and it's interesting how you framed your whole social justice um, energy right away in the context of Zeus, because as you were describing it, I was thinking of Eris, um, but the way you put it in the context of Zeus and morality and that sort of thing, it, it totally makes sense, and then you spoke right away to Eris. <laughs> Being in that that hermit internal type of energy that's that's really interesting um,
1: well I think the um, the the because it's it's all internal and i I do have a temper there most people don't realize that ex- until they know me well, and then they realize I get angry when I get angry I get very very angry, so that's that aggression can certainly come out. Uh, but again, it tends to be personal rather than the, with Zeus, I feel that energy is so easily accessible to me. And um, that that's kind of an outward energy uh, rather than an internal one. That's an energy that's easy for me to show to the world. Whereas my anger, I tend to, partly because I was raised as a Quaker and anger wasn't encouraged, nor were we taught how to deal with it. Mm. (laughs) We just weren't supposed to have it, I guess. Um, So anger was always uh, an issue for me because I did have a temper and I didn't really know what to do with it. And certainly um, studying with Marvin Shannon Harwood has helped me Deal better with that and recognize the how to um, how to deal with anger because I used to just not know what to do when I get ang- got angry. I I knew it wasn't right to hurt people and I knew it wasn't right to scream at people. Although I do sometimes do that, mm-hmm. <laughs> my children and people close to me. But mostly, when I get angry, I just wait and until I'm off somewhere by myself, and then I say snide remarks. Mm -hmm. But um, working with Marvin Shannon has helped me realize that I can deal with the anger in a much healthier way (laughs) by acknowledging it and then kind of letting the energy um, go back into the earth. And uh, also learning how to identify what it is that makes me angry and say that's interesting and what is that about.
0: Mm -hmm. Well my other mentor um, Gordon Neufeld, I like how he breaks down the function of each of the emotions and talks about how um, frustration, the instinctive drive of frustration is to push us to change and that all change makers are highly frustrated people frustrated as in something's not working for us right so like if yeah. and we don't see civilized diplomatic beings that way because because they don't you know discharge their anger in an immature way but it made sense to me that you wouldn't be moved to change something if you if it wasn't working if you weren't frustrated with it at some level and so being you know, like an advocate for social justice, thats that comes from an extremely frustrated place, right? Like this isn't working. There's so much stuff in our world that's not working. Like I think of how we live and how we treat the earth and just just the garbage alone that's generated from, you know,
1: yeah.
0: like just basic basic living and the unsustainability. Like that is so frustrating to me.
1: Well, today, when they made the announcement that a senator has made a motion to take uh, sexual discrimination out of the Indian Act, I'm like, really? 2017? And you're just coming to this decision?
0: Yeah, and why is (laughs) it still called an Indian Act? (laughs) Come on! Well,
1: I mean, it's been called an Indian Act forever, so that seems to be its name, Mm. but the fact of the matter remains... in the 1920s, when you decided women were people, you could have taken it out then, (laughs) but. So yes, frustration, that's a good word for it. (laughs) And the woman who commented on it, the indigenous woman who commented on it was, she was, her voice was shaking. And I think it was a combination of relief and anger. Yeah, you know, but it was basically she was like, "I'm very glad to see this finally." So yes, that's I I I'll think about that frustration being the, a, a a positive force instead of thinking of it as an unacceptable emotion, which is another thing, of course, Marvin Shannon has helped me to realize is not putting labels like "this is good" and "this is bad." but actually looking at what it is and asking myself, and what does that mean for me?
0: Totally. Yeah. Well, the heiress thing, that is something that all of us, you know, fine spiritual seeking folks or, you know, hippie folks or whoever are not generally willing to look at. Like it's just something we cast into our shadow and we say, well, oh, that's not me. That's, you know, that uncivilized, brazen group of people over there, and war, what is it good for, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right. And
1: yet, we do approve of fearlessness and courage and honor. We like those things, mm-hmm. which are all heiress characteristics. Yeah. So, then you think, oh, yes, we have to take the whole thing.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: We have to take the, the entire picture. It's no good to just say, I'll take this little bit of it.
0: So do you think that you had like the, would you describe Eris as being in your shadow for all those for years? For a very
1: long time, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was something I didn't I wouldn't have known how to deal with. I well and of course calling Eris the god of war and being raised as someone who thought war was a crime against children and other other living things. Um so one of the things I have found interesting about the work with Marvin Shannon is how I have opened my mind more to looking at things without labeling labeling them good or bad, looking at not that I advocate war. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but look and well, always looking for causes of things and and what, what is involved for the people what opportunities does this offer us to for our own growth and for our understanding of of the world we live in and the spiritual journey that the people around us are on
0: yeah totally
1: you although you th- it can be challenging sometimes
0: oh it certainly mm-hmm. is yeah do do you think that when we um become po- allow ourselves to become pol- polarized that we essentially just feed into that polarized energy right like so for example like how do you look at protests and stuff now right like when you're saying cuz i can see it from both sides i can see yep. the value of standing up to something like coming in with that sort of heiress er- warrior energy and just being like no this is unacceptable um but then i can see how you know if you're kind of always fighting against something or fighting against yeah fighting against evil so to speak or for the cause that it that you're just kind of feeding into a polarized dynamic and thus not really making it any better i don't know it's hard to wrap my head around that one
1: well, I think because I was a student of nonviolence, and one of the things they call that is moral jujitsu, jitsu um, and that is that is the idea is that you are presenting people with an opportunity for change. Mm. And one of my favorite stories about Dr. King was that he was at a rally of some sort, and there was a guy named... Well, I only knew him as Big Orange. That's what they called him. He was a huge black man. And he had been encouraged or paid or something by somebody to throw stones at Dr. King. And he so he did, and Dr. King just turned and started talking to him about, you know, the reasons why what, what do you hope to accomplish by this kind of... Well, Big Orange became a follower of Dr. King. So it seems to me that certainly to be able to go out with the idea that w- we will support an issue like immigration, um, that we will welcome people from other lands here, uh, we believe in a diverse Canada, whatever you want to do, and have it be a festival of inclusion and support. If negative forces come out against that, it's, you need to have a plan in case that happens. But it also is an opportunity to reach out to those people and say to them, well, where did your ancestors come from?
2: Yeah,
1: And... Why do you feel? What is it that frightens you about extending that to other people? And that's not an easy thing to do, but I think it's a necessary thing to do.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, if people come up against you and they're determined to cause violence, then perhaps the the best thing to do, other than accept police protection, is just to say, okay, you know, we. We've made our point, we're here, we're, you know, we're singing, we're playing instruments, we're celebrating this, and you have come with your anger and your violence. Um, So we're taking our festival somewhere else.
0: Hmm. As you're kind of describing this, what came to me was the idea of how a parent needs to navigate parenthood essentially right like a parent has to seize the lead and has to be can't just take a hands-off approach right like Mm -hmm. in the way that a parent needs to raise their child we need to be stewards of the earth and be very involved in how this how and where this ship gets steered but then the immature or the polarized beings will always kind of fight and become frustrated, throw a tantrum, whatever, but if we kind right. of rise to, I don't know, like take care of them or hold space for them, or but not compromise on where it is that we're going.
1: Yeah. No. You're welcome to come with us. Yeah. I particularly think of the Sons of Odin, because I have a friend who's a dedicated scholar of Norse mythology. And she is so offended that they have chosen this title for their anti-immigrant stance. And I think she, given the opportunity, she would like to talk to them about what they think Odin is. Hmm. Who do you think Odin is? And why have you chosen that archetype for your organization or your group? Um. And they might find it very instructive to talk to her, in my opinion. But um, I do think, too, that you need to be careful because human beings, for whatever reason, and you'll notice I have nothing in pilnitis, tend to become political about things. And it becomes about the power of the individual in the movement Mm. instead of about the issue. Being able to just focus on the issue is difficult for a group of human beings Mm. because it comes down, it seems to come down to, you got more camera time than I did. You didn't give the proper explanation of what communism is or whatever Lenin and Trotsky fell out about. You know, it's like they forgot the Russian people. They forgot the idea of freeing people from an oppressive system. And it all became about them and who got to be in charge. And so I do think that when when you are doing social justice work, it's very important that, for me anyway, to find a group that's actually focusing on the issue and not building a power base. <laughs> right, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's hard for people to have a... A sense of the bigger picture like even within my profession of social workers say right mm-hmm. it's easy for people to get caught up in geographical boundaries because of funding and those sorts of things and then it becomes people become tribalized whereas right. whereas i quite easily um flip back into wondering why that needs to occur when aren't we just trying to collectively build a so- society and a humanity that becomes informed by these ways of you know attachment and relationship and at the end of the day it's all just about healing and and yeah. being better with and for each other like it's not about these details it's like we lose the forest for the trees for yes. some reason ego i guess yeah
1: well and i think uh, i think We do, and I certainly do, struggle with uh, separating myself from consensual reality because the fear in our culture, and I just came back from the United States, so the fear in that culture is even greater. But the fear really makes people believe there isn't enough to go around, there isn't we have to choose between two things we can't possibly say we'll have both um because and then they don't really have a rational reason for that um and that fear-based kind of control of society is is very hard to work against and uh as i say um coming from the united states certainly it's it's rampant, um, the the amount of fear there. and um, But I find it in Calgary, too, um, and in Canada, that people tend to feel that if they give anything away or if they agree that somebody deserves something, it means it comes out of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly equal pay for work of... Uh, equal value between men and women. when I was in the union and the women were talking about that, the men who all made more money um, were certainly terrified that somehow their paychecks were going to be diminished because women were asking for work, equal pay for work of equal value. Mm -hmm. And it was, no amount of rational explanation to these gentlemen, who all, of, many of whom had much higher skills than I did, and therefore, I would never get what they were being paid, uh, because the work would not be of equal value. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there was one person, man who taught graduate engineering about electri- about uh, electricity. If he made a mistake he could kill somebody. I I worked as a student advisor. If I made a mistake, the chances were that some other bureaucrat up the line would notice it. But even if nobody did, it would mean maybe a student wouldn't graduate this term but next term. Mm. So you can hardly I can hardly expect to get paid the same amount as somebody whose work requires that they have life and death in their hands. Oh, man. But do you think he would believe me? No, he was so fearful that I was taking money out of his pocket. And um, so trying to work to get people to understand that they don't need to be so afraid. But in a world like we live in now, it's kind of hard when people get shot when they're in church, so... Yeah, we don't seem to
0: quite get the concept of reciprocity.
1: No. Individuals often do, and I think smaller communities, but when you have a runaway situation like you do, especially in the United States, or in any large country probably, where you let things get out of control, And and where you have, um, well, one of the things I found interesting was a security expert in the United States was advising uh, churches to just allow the congregation to come armed, and then they could fight back in a Christian church. Jeez. And I'm like, did we kind of lose what we were doing here?
0: No kidding.
1: I what do you and apparently, as in response to that, a pastor tweeted, "Oh, I let my congregants bring their guns to church." <laughs> and it's like I'm not sure that's what Jesus had in mind. <laughs> but then, of course, we could argue about whether church was what he had in mind. So, anyway, um, <laughs> but I do think people get fear is such it can be so overwhelming that this i mean that's really irrational for a christian to say i'm going to pass out guns as my as people come into the church instead of a church program <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness have no. you been going to the
0: states regularly in the last couple of years
1: well yes because i have family who live there so i go visit
0: so what have you observed? And I'm always
1: relieved to come back to Canada. Yeah?
0: What have you observed kind of recently? Is it is it since Trump took power that you've kind of observed?
1: It's been a trajectory since, mm-hmm. well, I have a friend who insists it's been since the Civil War, but... Mm-hmm. Um, the American Civil War, but certainly since I lived in the United States, which was during the 60s and 70s, well, and before when I was a child, but it was as though the the country was offered an alternative of doing things collectively, of moving away from militarism. Even President Eisenhower, General Eisenhower, warned people about the military-industrial complex when he left office, they were given warnings all the way along, and they chose a wrong path. They got into a momentum tunnel which has led them in this direction. Hmm. And how they're going to turn that around, I don't know, because it's gotten so incredibly strong now. They're, the fear and the control, the the control that um, the... Uh, industrial complex does have over people uh, the choices that they make of where to spend their money not on education, not on health um, but on um, cutting taxes to wealthy people and um, and armaments, whereas in Canada the you know Canadians are want to you know, have a reasonable amount of protection for their country, but they also are determined that their children and that they themselves, their parents and their children, will have health care and education and that you know, any decent infrastructure, that these are all that these are important. So I think that that, and hopefully, um, one of the things that I certainly hope for Canada is that they, we continue to support the ideas that uh, will keep us going in a, a more uh, humane and collectively supportive direction
2: mm-hmm.
1: rather than allow ourselves to become fearful and um because fear divides people and then you your growth and creativity uh, are diminished and you can't be as successful
0: so you've studied a lot of other archetypes as well not just the archetype project right which is
1: well, I've, I've studied, um, not intensely, but I certainly have read about Jung and Carolyn Miz and, uh, and also mythology. I've always been interested in mythology. So I've, I read a lot of Greek and Roman and some, some Norse and, and Asian mythologies. Well, that's
0: interesting that you bring up mythology right now, too, because where I was kind of going was, because you, cause you've studied the animistic, like the Blackfoot traditional, you know, animal medicines and that sort of thing, too, with Marvin Shannon, right. right? Because I was wondering what you think, from your perspective, the medicine is for that situation that's kind of going going on politically in America, and the kind of chaos and the the rampant fear and it and it's the same consensual reality materialism you know paradigm that we're in too right like from an archetypal Mm -hmm. perspective what do you think the um the answer is or the medicine or where where it's out of right relationship that could be restored like if you could if if that collective issue was coming to you saying how do we heal this what would the new mythology be or what, would the, what right. would the energy medicine be that we could apply to that situation?
1: Well, I, I guess I have an opinion. I, I, I wish I knew so I could go around and say to people, okay, I can fix this, filter bullet, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, but for me, a large part, I, well, especially because of the studying I've done, it's about balance. Mm -hmm. We're um, disconnected from the earth, the amount of damage that we do, the things that people... Okay, I was just out on Long Island visiting friends, and we went through a very, very nice section of Long Island with big houses. And so rich people are moving in there, building these huge houses, cutting down the local trees which are beautiful, um, beech and maples and oaks, and bringing in invasive species because it'll look like California. hmm. And they have, um, they're polluting streams because they want swimming pools. They're right on the ocean. They want swimming pools. And it's like totally, this is our place. They they approach Mother Earth the way I more or less approach the inside of my house. You know, I want the walls this color, I want the floor this, I want this furniture. Mm. But I I can do that and not affect the outside. You can't do if you can't have that lifestyle, you can't attack the local, you know, they're driving out the deer, they're driving out the, the wildlife because they, they eat their um, grass. Well, you'd think they'd be grateful the deer came in and ate their grass and they wouldn't have to hire gardeners. But <laughs> there's no, no apparent awareness that they're causing damage. I, I'm sure they don't go in there thinking, I'm going to wreck this place.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> but that's what There's they're no doing.
1: Mm-hmm. And so that total lack of awareness, um, you know, children who never have been on a farm, who have no concept of where food comes from. Just around Calgary, the amount of building that we've done on the very little bit of fertile land that, ca- that Canada has the big cities that are close to the U.S. border, and Calgary spreads out and people have these, they, they buy up farmland and they build these kind of huge communities um, of large houses and they bring in sewer systems and all these things. Well, when you need farmland, where are you going to find it? You're not going to find it up north although with climate change going the way it is, maybe they will, but (laughs) there's just a real lack of connection with people understanding what they're doing with the earth.
2: Yeah.
1: And what it does to their spirit. They know now, they've proven scientifically, thank goodness, because the shamans and wise people of the past didn't they said this but now they've proven it that people who are ill get better faster if they can see trees if you can get them out in the sunshine and actually let them touch a tree they get better even faster Mm. they know this they know this on many many levels now but it's like it it doesn't permeate developers right you know so so I think the work of healers is to get as many people as we can reach to start thinking about balance balance in their own lives, balance with the earth and and searching for um, a way to live with each other and with Mother Earth that's healthy and that will allow people to accomplish. But they need to in the United States uh, in the 1950s, the difference between the very rich and the very poor was not nearly as great as it is now. Mm-hmm. In Japan, they have laws about that. The very rich aren't allowed to be more than a certain percentage above the very poor because it creates an imbalance in the society. Yeah that there is a cap on how rich you can be. And there should be a cap on how poor you can be, too. Um, you know, that people need to find ways to, to live a healthy life and being able to find balance so that people respect each other and a balance of male and female, a balance of, of sustainable living on the earth. I think many people are working toward this. Uh, This summer, when I was traveling in British Columbia, I think it was in Mission, I came upon this huge parking lot of Tesla where you could just plug in your electric car. mm yeah. It was a huge, huge parking lot. And nobody was, you know, there were cars there. Nobody was making a thing of it, but there it Mm Mm-hmm it's not that we don't know how to do this. Oh, yeah. So, um and of course, I tend and this is kind of a Zeus thing again to believe that if you educate the children, they will find ways to do it that I can't even imagine.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally yeah. and the, and there that's kind of where we have access to them is like public schools.
1: <laughs> yeah. And helping parents realize that children have developmental needs mm-hmm. and supporting parents to have healthy environments for their children, educating parents about that may very well lead them into thinking, well, once my children are teenagers are going out in the adult world, what kind of world is that going to be? Do I want them to be flying uber cars around which is apparently one of the latest things um, are, who's going to be controlling that air traffic Who do we really need to be driving flying around in cars wouldn't it make more sense to figure out how technology could help us do many other things <laughs> mm. <laughs> to bring about some balance in the world like refilling the aquifers or mm. getting rid of landfills, we just started recycling in where I live, and I discovered that landfills, um, I went to a presentation, um, when they built the science center in Calgary, they excavated a former landfill, they found a newspaper from 1921 that was, you could read, it looked like it was just off the presses.
0: Oh my goodness!
1: Put things into landfills and cover them up. Nothing degrades. Yeah So I isn't now they have technology now where we're recycling. We understand better how to recycle. But there's so many important things needed in the world. Um, and another balance that interests me with the technology. I understand that in the next 15, 20 years, they will have developed self-driving trucks.
2: Hmm.
1: In North America, there are 1.7 million truck drivers. Do we have jobs for those people hmm. when they can't drive their truck anymore? What kind of social chaos will that create, and why aren't we talking about that instead of about driverless trucks? <laughs> You know, let the technicians talk about the driverless trucks. The rest of us should be saying what are we going to do to provide people with meaningful work and income so that they have a healthy life?
0: Yeah. Well, you're definitely speaking my language because I just see all of this every day as a social worker. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, How to use, I mean, other than reaching out to people, um, I know that Uh, In the work I do with committees and boards, um, the training that I am doing, I try to get people to understand about working collaboratively, that there are processes that can help you through difficult times. You don't have to have communication breakdowns. You don't have to like everybody you work with, but you have to be respectful. And that focus on the issues. You may find that someone you don't care for very much, very much believes in something you believe, and then the two of you can work on that and leave other things aside. So just every time I get an opportunity to work with people, I do try to introduce the ideas of working collectively and responsibly, responsibly and, co- uh, respectfully, because if people become responsible and respectful, I'm hoping it will ripple out into the way they treat their neighbors and their country and their earth.
0: Yeah. And it sounds so simple. And, and a lot of when, when elders speak, what they're saying is so simple, but they're saying it from a heart place and if it was so simple then why are we having so much difficulty figuring this out right like adults are constantly telling children you know treat each other well be nice and all and all that yeah. stuff especially when it's you know developmentally they're not even capable of of that they haven't even become individuals let alone you know have right. the capacity to relate to others and and that sort of thing but like as a as a whole we're nowhere near that, right? Like,
1: And some of it, I think, is because adults need to do a lot of self-reflection because children usually do what they see instead of what they're told. Yeah. I noticed that with my own daughter, that although there are many things that I tried to teach her that she seems to have learned, one of the things she's learned is being overthinking things and trying to ensure everything fits to a schedule. (laughs) And when I realized that that's one of the things she learned from me, I was very sad. That was not something I was trying to teach her. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But of course, that was the way I was when she was growing up. And so that's what she learned. So now... She'll need to unlearn it, just like I'm trying to unlearn it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Do you? Although, s-
1: hopefully, if I unlearn it, it will. She'll pick that up too.
0: Yeah, doing the work for seven generations. Yes. <laughs> forward and behind. So, yeah. in your in your archetype bio, you were talking about fear of chaos and that sort of thing. Is that kind of where all well, that control
1: orientation came in? Well, I my relationship with chaos is interesting. And again, I didn't really understand it until I'd seen my life chart because my chaos is in Lisa And I see both sides of chaos. My first reaction to sudden change or change in plan is to be annoyed. And what am I going to do? How can I control this? And then within a few minutes, I'm like, well... I know how we can deal with this. Why don't we try this? Or, actually, that works out better for me because, mm. so, I, chaos it doesn't bother me uh, as much as it does many people. Um, I notice that, uh, I mean, I think it would be interesting, some of my friends who are control freaks, I'd be interested to know <laughs> where their chaos is. <laughs> um because change usually, from my perspective, tends to be positive. And even though my initial reaction might be to kind of freak out um, and and say, but, but I didn't plan for that today. Um, I'm like, oh, on the other hand, it opens up this. Uh, I know for many people, though, that if they have that, chaos in a in a, a different place it might be extremely destructive or if it's negated and they just can't deal with change at all so i think that knowing your life chart and being able to have that knowledge and then work with that and with the archetype would be another way for people to be able to take that shift and, and it is scary to decide you're going to change your life. But for people who are miserable, you kind of wonder why, I know, it's easier to deal with the pain you know than possibly be pain-free, but what if you're not, and what if, and what if, and what if. Um, however, uh, that's certainly another tool of the Archetype Project is is provides tools for people who have decided that they are not happy with the way their life is going. Help them to understand why it's going that way and then make some the necessary changes so that they can be free to develop their life the way they want to
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting, Lens. It's it's not a it's not a paradigm that that lacks complexity that's for sure like there's just so many places you can one can go right like you know like these other models i'm thinking of like personality models or there's different ones based on different color paradigms and that sort of thing like most of them came from the realm of psychology and stuff to try to make sense of yourself they're pretty they could be pretty simplistic whereas you know when you've got 10 primary archetypes that you're looking at and then you're looking at each of those within a relationship with a larger archetype like how you described you know your chaos or Uranus in in Lisa, the goddess of duality right like the lovers the duality how you would you know react (laughs) by resisting but then swing to the other side and see all the benefits and then it sounds to me like you would integrate integrate the duality or something like that? Yeah. And go with and the
1: I, chaos? I agree. I think Myers-Briggs gives you insight, or the color, you know, knowing that if you're a blue, then you work from your heart, and if you're green, you work from your brain, or whatever it is. That gives you some insight, but it doesn't show you how to shift right behavior necessarily and those are they bit... give you insight but it i i think there's another tool needed
0: <laughs> yeah they're a little reductionistic like to have this many relationships happening there's no end to where you can go for more insight for further insight right like you've got those 10 primaries they're in these 12 houses if you want to go to astrology right Yes. And then you've got the conversations and relationships between the archetypes themselves, and there's just so many places to look, you know? Like once you've kind of done some of the obvious self-work, I mean, there's always, at any given point, I'm always looking at an an archetypal relationship and enhancing my own life as a result of it.
1: Well, and one of the things I think um people it's like housework you you're never going to be done <laughs> right <laughs> and um i remember years ago my uncle was a minister and i was so impressed with him because he worked at an old folks home and he was he used the parable of the um good samaritan who helped you know, even though they w- were, was a despised, he was a despised person, he helped someone along the road. And he said to these people, some of whom were almost 100 years old, he said, we don't know how old the Samaritan was. There's nothing that indicates to us that God expects us to give up being doing his work. Mm-hmm. Helping, our, you know, helping to the extent that we can, regardless of what our age is. So, if all you can do is knock on the door of your neighbor when you're going down to dinner to remind them that it's time for dinner, or be say good morning pleasantly to the staff, he said, if that's all you can do, that's what you need to do. So, I think with, I think, in many ways, I've always thought that I wouldn't solve the problem, and then, thank goodness, I've got it, <laughs> <laughs> Um I certainly haven't had that in my life up till now. Um, I get insights, and um, then, you know, I it's like an upward spiral. I do do see, and then I come around, and I'm like, oh, here's this again from a slightly different perspective, and I I get more insight, and then I, you know, so that it it's a continuous journey. Yeah. Um, and why not? I'm not doing much else with my life. You know, this is what life is about, is this journey we're on of self-discovery and understanding the meaning of our lives. really, for most people, if maybe they're afraid to face that, but um, really that's, why we came here, in my opinion, and it seems to me that you shouldn't expect to be able to solve it, maybe not even when you're 90 years old. Right, yep. You you may be a lot wiser by the time you're 90 if you've been working on it, but you probably are still working on yourself. Yeah, yeah.
0: That is the answer of a wise person. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Or else you're a crotchety old person who just whines all the time about being old.
0: Yeah, yeah, right? Because
1: like, what I'm else are you going to do when you're 90? You know, except keep exploring. What's going to be of interest to you? Yeah. And there, I've met people who are 90 who are vibrant, active people, very engaged in life and and... Other people who have just kind of given up and don't know why they can't move on to the next phase. And I'd rather be one of the ones who's interested and engaged.
2: Yeah, and totally. And certainly,
1: however complex archetype is, it gives opportunity for <laughs> for many years of exploration.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: Are you and yet can- it has already helped me, so... What, what more can you ask?
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, the minute you say you're done or you're fine or <laughs> yeah. you've got to figure it out, that is quite oh. an indication that you do not.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> and there's always states of consciousness to explore and.
1: Well, and life happens. I mean, mm-hmm. I know um, I worked for a man whose mother had she lived to be well into her 90s, very active person. and uh, But she had lost her husband and, and kind of all her friends, all her contemporaries. And she fortunately had made friends with younger people, but they started dying off too. Um, so dealing with grief and dealing with being on your own, and dealing with not having anyone who remembers the things you remember. Right. These are, are issues that that have to be faced and aren't easy just because you figured out how to raise kids and they all turned out all right if you were fortunate and they that was part of their life path. Um, you know, you... It, Things just keep evolving, and so there are always new challenges. I think, and how we face those challenges um, is part of what we've. We're here to to learn and to do, and um, the. I think there may be many tools that help people, but the archetype project is one that that offers just a lot of information and a lot of of levels to go into as deeply as you want or, or not. I feel the same about, about the medicine bundle. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: it, it just offers a lot of opportunity to, to learn and explore, um, my relationship with different energies of the earth and, and, um, the archetypes, it seems to me, and the entities all give us a uh, an insight into how life works. Yeah. They, they offer us these insights, and uh, they're they're just offered there for us to make use of if, if we want. Mm-hmm. And um, I certainly feel with the animal entities that when you're wondering, how can I face old age, for instance? Well, if you understand the medicine wheel, you realize there's a pattern. And examples are given to you of, of how do you face getting older? How do you face um, maybe a weakening of your body and a strengthening of your spirit? All of, all of those examples of how to do it are there. Yeah. They're just there. and But people need to know about them. Now, that's the tricky part, is how to get people to, to know about it. And I think that's uh, one of the balances of um, indigenous peoples everywhere have this kind of wisdom. Yeah. And then the technology of the West offers, you know... Um, penicillin
0: or something which is also useful yep yep totally yeah traditional culture would have just been downloading all this wisdom over the lifespan yeah we have some pretty interesting mythologies i i don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. if i you know break my arm i definitely want to go to the hospital and have the best technology applied to my situation
1: <laughs> well i recently had I recently had um, a hip trans you know hip replacement surgery I have new hips replacement yes new parts and <laughs> it's changed my life and i'm very grateful for it the um, the fact that there may have been some spiritual uh, lesson in that for me is something that I work on, but I and I did work on it before, but the damage had been done. Yes, yeah. And it didn't seem to be undoing. Yeah. So having the opportunity to have the replacement and then work out the spiritual applications <laughs> um, was, which I am doing, and I've been gotten, you know, I've I have been working on that. It's very interesting. But I'm not in pain, and it's easier to move forward when you're not in pain.
0: Yeah, sometimes we have to process things in hindsight. Yeah. Like when we accidentally
1: crash our vehicle into someone else. (laughs) We go, what?
0: (laughs) It happens so fast.
1: Yeah. And it happens to the greatest... Sages of the world, I suspect. If we were able to talk to them. Yeah. That they might have had times when they said to themselves, how did I get out of balance here? Totally. Totally.
0: Well, and back to that balance comment, when I asked you about the medicine that could, you know, help our out-of-balance society or whatever, and I was trying to think of it in terms of the archetype project right like the the archetypes that have been fused together of you know from tarot astrology numerology Mm -hmm. mythology you know kind of like that lens as opposed to let's say you know um the medicine wheel or the animistic animal medicine lens and as you were talking about it 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 felt to me like all of the the whole pantheon, if you will, they're all operating under the principle of balance. They all have a polar mate. They have a an opposite energy to them. They all come in these packages of, of balance. It all kind of
1: Absolutely. fits with what you were saying. And I think with the archetypes, one of the wonderful things about the Archetype Project is that these energies are so universal. Anybody will recognize this. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your uh, culture is, that these energies are within your own mythologies. Um, they're in the movies. They're on TV. They're in literature. They're there. And, um, and it's... Um, so when you... Uh, if you are working with the archetype project, it, there will be familiarities. You'll think, "Oh yes, I'm at home with this. I recognize this."
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a neat way to.
1: Neat and I, I think, lens. yeah, the sense of those different, uh, of those different modalities gives it extra strength.
0: Yeah, it kind of adds to my understanding of things. Like sometimes I'll look at one of the archetypes through an astrological lens because that resonates more for me or I can get more insight about that archetype through that lens or another time I'll think of it in terms of the tarot. or um, Numerology, not so much. I would say that um, the number 11 in terms of Utu, like the Justice card, the um, Mesopotamian God of Balance, you know, when I look at the number 11, I just just get it at some level, that that's all about those, you know, the scales and the balance. For me, Mm -hmm. the number 11, like, really obviously reflects that, or because of how I've synthesized this information, I can now relate it to numerology, but... Not right off the hop. Do I get these downloads of intuition through that lens?
1: Well, and I knew nothing about numerology or tarot um, when I first started working with the archetypes. And I asked Shannon, do I need to learn more about this? And she said, why don't you do this first? Mm. and, And subsequently, I have looked more into... Uh, certainly the tarot I find interesting. Yeah. Um the numerology I well, first of all my relationship with numbers generally isn't that good.
0: <laughs> I mm-hmm. have a hard time
1: with math. Oh. But um so it's not the first place I go to. But I do find it useful to to do the numerology of the day sometimes.
0: Yes, me too. <laughs>
1: Or I mean, sometimes I find it useful, I guess. Sometimes I do the numerology of the day and it's almost like reading a horoscope in the newspaper. You think, that can't be me. This has nothing to do with me. But other days I think, oh my goodness, that really <laughs> nailed it for me. <laughs> totally. So again, it's a tool that I find that that I sometimes use that's very helpful. And, um, I, you know, it's, I guess... Whatever tool it is that you need that day is available to you. Totally,
0: yeah, and I like having a, a mixed bag, you know, a yes. toolkit full of all sorts of different things, and it will rise to the fore, whatever is needed. Yes. So, speaking of um, like numerology and your connection to Zeus, given that it's 2017, how has this year been to you? Has it been particularly Zeusy?
1: Well, actually, somebody else asked me that recently, and I thought, oh, I haven't really looked at it that way. Uh, but certainly, it's there have been some very strong high points. Um, my expectations for the year were very high, and th- that always leads to um, the the fact that Zeus has unlimited expectations for so sometimes... <laughs> I'm disappointed in my own <laughs> because I can't keep up. Um, but it's it's been a year of... Um, because if you think of Zeus as the Wheel of Fortune, for instance, which turns, and so you can look at the world situation and think, I certainly hope next year it's going to turn. Um, or you can also look at the fact that Zeus is very much about big, big, bigger, biggest. His Id- although Zeus involves the idea of morality, he's more it seems to me that he also it's also about just outrageously over the top. Whatever it is you do, go over the top. <laughs> and we can certainly see that in the past year. Mhm. Where all around the world, people Mm. seem to be kind of just playing it huge. Yeah. And uh, not always for the best, in, in my opinion, but if I'm not applying my standard of good and evil, it's like, whoa, yes. Huge, huge changes, huge personalities out there. If I were just sitting back and not didn't have family I worry about <laughs> out in the world. Um, you could just look at what's going on from a a totally objective point of view and think, yep, yeah, Zeus was really in charge of that year.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so too. Like, it's really just been in my face, the choices thing. Like, I yeah. c- can't even tell you how many times I've heard other people talking about this theme of of choice like that quintessential fork in the road kind of thing
1: yes that's just been coming Mm -hmm.
0: up over and over and over and everything keeps coming back to this experience of having a finite amount of energy and where do I want to apply myself and what's really important that big picture Right? What, yeah. are, what am I really doing here? What's really important? I've got this one little tiny life to live. I guess that's kind of, you know, Zeus, Zeus whispering in my ear a little bit, like, you know, you've got, you know, only this one little lifetime. Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to go right or are you going to go left? And
1: yeah, yeah. And it's it's if you apply that uh, internationally, um, also. Then you wonder, too, and I I wonder about the, uh, if you also think about shifting energies, um, is that the kind of patriarchal, old school, I'm a leader of a country, but I act like a small boy on the playground, um, (laughs) is... It's like it's so huge at this point, and not just in the United States, but in other places, Mm -hmm. um, that maybe this is like the final swing in -hmm. that direction. And that next year, as we move more into balance, (laughs) um, some of that will be dissipated. Because it's it's really been... uh, If you think about, the, you know, just a shift from going extremely in one direction and starting to swing back in another direction, um, it would be hard to think of of how we could swing further toward patriarchy and militarism than we have this year.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe we're doing the... um... The riddle medicine, where you, <laughs> where you take a, a a high high energy child and you give them methamphetamine, <laughs> you <laughs> rev them up further, and then you rev them so much so that their system actually revs all the way, and then kicks back into a a parasympathetic state of consciousness where it's relaxed and maybe we're just doing that approach, like the Riddle and approach.
1: <laughs> I, I certainly hope so.
0: because <laughs> well, next year's Utu, right? Like yeah, the, the justice, so the balance, balance, the scales. That
1: sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. And um and justice, that sounds good. <laughs> so yeah, one can always hope. <laughs>
0: So you have, um, you have your Poseidon in Utu. Yes. What's that like?
1: Poseidon is one of the archetypes I struggle with because I, it's one of the ones I think I understand, but then when I actually look at it, I wonder if I do. Um, but because that is about finding balance between and the one I like best is... is um, Well, one of the ones I like is the difference between, like, empathy and over-sentimentality. Mm. And the other one I like is, is, like, self-sacrifices to, as opposed to, you know, a, a kind of a healthy helping hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I do... I, I guess I, I don't... I have spent... Some of my life too far over in the sacrifice, mm. and one of the things I found working with the archetypes is a realization that that is not balance <laughs> you know that yeah. that and I think part of that is the consensual reality because I was raised in a time where where women did kind of always serve themselves last and make sure everybody else had what they needed and all that kind of thing.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, so learning, being able to work with Poseidon um, helps take away some of that guilt. Um, The idea that it's, um, because if you, if you step up and say, I want that, that's selfish. You should Mm -hmm. wait and see what everybody else needs and then you decide you know, that kind of approach. Yeah. Um, I recognize from working with Poseidon that that is not really what was intended. That spirit doesn't expect us to to do that self-sacrifice. What we need to do is find the balance between um, what we need and what we can give to others. And um, so that and the fact that it's in Utu is is kind of comforting. Yeah, it's it's about balance, and it's right there with with the balance director. So
0: I think that would be kind of nice. And so for astrology folks, we're talking about Neptune in Libra. I think that'd be a really nice tempering element to have. You know, that justice, Libra, Utu sort of balancing energy, influencing such an intense, you know, deep, um, energy like Poseidon's that could really just knock people into such deep states of martyrdom, depression, oh.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: What an intense energy Poseidon is.
1: And I think that, um, generally, uh, I have um, I have found the uh for instance visionary versus delusion. I like that one too. <laughs> mm, yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, that that really you always need to be aware of um you need to check in to be sure that you aren't just in, too involved in ego and in your own head and thinking that the whole world needs to follow you and what you want is the best for everybody. Um, I certainly, uh, partly, again, from a Quaker point of view, <laughs>
2: when
1: when we, all, we had what we called committees of concern, so somebody came to a quaker meeting and said um, i've been chosen you know i'm on a mission from god mm. they would say what does that look like how you know and what does it mean and how you know, and they ask you questions so you mm. have to reflect on whether or not you think you're on a mission from God, or whether God's really giving you a mission. And if, re- you know, if they feel God really gave you a mission, then they send you on your way to be a visionary and go out there and, mm. and save the world. But if you just think that you're the second coming or something, they're apt to try and cool Check you down. Check the delusion, and- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> S- At least make sure that. when you go out in the world, you're not using their name. Um, yeah. So totally. that always that you know that I've always felt that 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 you need to have that again balance um, that it's too easy to believe that my idea is the best idea,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and everybody should listen to me and um you know work again if you work collaboratively with people you get different perceptions and you get. An opportunity for reflection and to consider what what it means to me looking at it again is that's interesting and what it means to me mm-hmm. so yes Poseidon in, in Utu is very comfortable
0: I yeah you have some really nice combos <laughs> really <laughs> nice tempering balanced you've got so much receptive yeah you're you're just even keel as they come.
1: <laughs> Indeed, I was quite surprised when I saw that. Of course, it also means I have to accept that I probably am not going to write the can- great Canadian novel or anything.
0: <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you too about magic because we were just well, we were just talking about Poseidon, so it kind of makes sense to go to right. Poseidon's polar mate or opposite energy, so magic or Mercury, because that's the one energy that you have in a challenging position so and you have that in saradwin what right. is that like to have your sort of your your magic your communication that sort of logic energy to not have so much access to that or have you shifted that
1: well i think um i more i've come to understand that maybe one of the reasons that um that's in a, a challenging position, is because um, with Zeus and, um, well, out the sun, also in Ceriduin, um and I, also, I tend to live a lot in my head, mm. and if magic were anywhere else, <laughs> which it can't be because of the way my chart is set up, but still, I mm-hmm. think I magic agreed to be there to make sure that I didn't totally be disconnected Mm. from reality. Um, It helps keep keep my feet on the ground so that I don't get uh, so carried away with ideas. Because I get pretty carried away with ideas as it is.
0: (laughs) Right. Okay. Okay.
1: And also then, of course, I married a man who's an encouraged, um, an encouraging magic. Oh. So I get a lot of that energy on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. free of charge.
0: <laughs> so you don't find that, you know, your magic being challenged has kind of gotten in the way of your expression or anything like that?
1: Um. Written expression, I have a lot of trouble with, Hmm. um, which is frustrating for me because I would like to write. So, uh, actually, I never thought about it quite that way, but yes. um, I communicate fairly well, I think, verbally, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um, but in other ways, um, yes, I do struggle with it.
2: Hmm.
1: Interesting. And... um, so now you've given me a good idea to go and do a journey to magic and see what I can do about that.
0: Right? Have you done many rituals with with? Archetypes? I haven't with magic. Oh, okay. I
1: have. I have with Aphrodite and Zeus and Ra and um, and I'm I'm going back to Zeus actually. That's one of those spirals yeah <laughs> I kind of thought I was done with Zeus, but no it's it's come around again so uh i I think that um is one of the interesting things is that um I think of it kind of uh because if you think about these energies as being primal and universal, you know that on the first go round you didn't get everything you could.
0: Yeah, no, Zeus is not done with you.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> so uh, I think that being able to go back to, um, to journey again and, and get more information
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and express more gratitude because I see, as well as understanding some of the negative ways that Zeus has shown up in my life, um, I also have to be grateful for the amazing gifts I've received as a result of of Zeus being in the position that it is. So that is the other side of it, of course.
0: Yeah, neat. And you and I have, um, we both have Aphrodite in Lilith, which I find really interesting because Aphrodite being so, so and i don't want to reduce her to say oh you know feminine pretty you know she's so deep with the mother the maiden the crone aspect just that you know deep mothering that crone wisdom and that beautiful maiden energy that you know all that is the feminine that's that's a rich that's yeah. a rich archetype but to have her living in lilith's house which is the devil card she's she's just so live out loud and fun and you know dark but not intimidating and i just love what's coming through me um in terms of aphrodite and lilith's combination have you you noticed that those two well having wild fun together
1: (laughs) when i went through a period of studying the Tudors, i was very impressed and with Elizabeth I, because of that, her sorry? intellectual ability and her understanding of her role. And I would get so annoyed with Mary Queen of Scots, who was always falling in love with the wrong guy <laughs> and ending up in a mess. And I, re- when I studied the archetypes, I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I totally understand Lilith's feeling of, you know, that that the Lilith energy is like, oh, just a little silly, um, Aphrodite, a little flighty, um, (laughs) and it just made me laugh, but I also think Lilith is quite protective of Aphrodite, Mm. because Lilith is very clear-sighted about things, Mm. and, and kind of tough, and, um, and it's kind of like, you know, when you fall down and scrape your knees, she's apt to say, well, is, are the bones sticking out or, is, you know, do you just need to wash your knee and put a Band-Aid on? Yeah. So I think that in many ways that because I tend to be a kind of a heart person, um, maybe Lilith helps keep me from being too, too sentimental. I think she gives strength to being a mother because you can have a certain amount of distance that you need when you're raising kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But also, I think Lilith really is helpful to the crone aspect. I think Lilith is probably very supportive of Aphrodite's crone aspect, because that's um, the whole part about um, about the living out loud, speaking your mind, being free to, um, to do that, and not worrying about so much about the consequences. And, um, and I like the idea of being dignified and controlled. Totally. Uh, and understanding so that, yes, you love people and you're sentimental and you like little animals and flowers, but you also realize that the little animals are going to be prey for the hawks. Totally. <laughs>
0: that's oh that's such a cool way of putting it.
1: That's the way that's the way life is, people.
0: I love that. I was um I've been writing a lot of poetry recently and I did this show, like a poetry gig. Someone invited oh, me to guess. come perform. And Great. it it's interesting when I think about as you're describing the crone aspect of Aphrodite and Lilla, that's exactly what's been coming through in my writing and the feedback that I got from the person who who booked me to do the show he hadn't heard me perform before but he knew me and trusted me so he just he went out on a limb and um, he said to me you have a little native woman living inside of you and she's very very comfortable with her sexuality <laughs> That's, oh, that's great yeah so, and that's what's kind of coming through it's like really really devotional and it kind of you know honors the mundane as sacred and the sacred as mundane and just that sort of yes the the hawk eats the mouse but the mouse is yeah. you know i'm bringing this amazing medicine and we're you know, we're all of these things and none of them and that sort of thing and then and then just with this like energy of raunchy, you know, sexuality in there and I think that's that Crone and and Lilith teaming up just being like, We're gonna tell it like it is and <laughs> here we are, take it or leave it.
1: <laughs> I think too that Lilith may help Aphrodite be in charge of her own sexuality. Mmm. I wonder about that.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Definitely.
1: You know, that so it's you don't just give in to being all sweetness and light. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't want to. Yeah, and
0: where people would criticize where the masculine or the patriarchy or whatever would criticize the feminine when when the feminine is in lilith that is not the case you know this no. is not a feminine that is um uh, that has lost the the forest for the trees you know like she, no. she is a powerhouse in lilith aphrodite i think
1: well one of the things i used to wonder and i haven't i have a friend i haven't done her chart but um she's about my age And uh, she told me one time about how she had been chased around the desk by one of her employers. This was when we were, we've known each other for years. This is when I was younger. And I thought, I was never chased around. You know, I'm kind of like, why don't men chase me around this? Well, because they wouldn't dare. (laughs) And that's Lilith. It would never occur to them to do that. Because I wouldn't put up with it. Yeah, And I think that's partly the Lilith. It's They knew it. I didn't really know it. I didn't realize about Lilith until recently. But, you know, I used to wonder, well, why, why is she such a fragile flower and men are tripping all over to do things for her? Mm. Well, there's a price to be paid for that that Lilith never wanted me to pay, so I never had to.
0: Yeah, had you been <laughs> in that position, she would have rose to... Defend you.
1: <laughs> Indeed.
0: Yeah. Very so that's
1: interesting. Very, see, it just, and as we're talking about it, I learn more and more. It's every time I talk to anybody about the archetypes. It's, it, you know, that's one of the amazing things about it. It's so fascinating, <laughs> yeah. There's another
0: woman who I happened to stumble upon. In California at a music festival and she does a podcast and her name's Carolyn Casey and Mm -hmm. she talks about it all from an astrological point of view, like just astrological terms. She's an astrologer, but she talks about politics in the context of astrology and it's just so fascinating to hear that different angle on the archetypes, you know, and it's just, yeah, she's absolutely brilliant. So um, it's called The Visionary Activist Show.
1: Oh, I will look for that.
0: Yeah, she's really neat. Yeah. Actually, you kind of remind me of her in a way. Like, just you're from that same generation. She lives in Washington, D.C., and she just kind of has cultivated so much wisdom over the years and puts a mm. neat spin on something you, two things you would never think to put together.
1: Indeed. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my, the hopes I have for the United States is that. I The people I know there, and many other people I don't know, and certainly hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people, the media never mentions, uh, the mainstream media, yeah. are all doing work. Yeah. They're all doing healing work. And um, that's, you know, really the only hope I have, is that they will be, because I know that they're there doing the work, even though I don't often hear about it Um, I must not be going to the right sites, but um, just this uh, this they had an election yesterday two transgender women were elected one in Virginia one in Minnesota a Sikh was elected as the mayor of Hoboken New Jersey Um, this is very different than one might expect of things happening,
2: yeah.
1: Given the overall climate there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so something is is straining at bringing about some balance. Hmm. Because those aren't the only things. I think all of Virginia went Democrat, but I'm not sure. But there were many on the news. They were talking about these these sudden shifts that were happening. Very interesting. Hmm.
0: Well, we do have two months left um, of this whole crazy Zeus <laughs> yes. business, and then we have to get it together because
1: yes. we're,
0: we're going to be called into balance next year.
1: Well, uh, yes, that uh, it'll be a vi- it, it's always interesting. It is if, if you can just keep your um, own just dis- you know perspective on it. Very yeah.
0: All wound it's, up realize that it's just a ride yes <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so was there any other archetypes that you wanted to mention that have you know had a I, I guess they all have I imagine they all have had a profound effect on your life but any that you kind of wanted to speak about that I haven't asked you about specifically
1: Well, I think nemesis is interesting for me uh, because um, certainly I believe in in order and uh, responsibility and accomplishment, um, which I always thought were kind of dreary. Um, (laughs) Right. You know, when I was being judgmental, before I learned not to be judgmental, I'm still struggling with that, But, but being dependable always didn't, you know, when people say, "Well, she's dependable, that's not nearly as wonderful as "She's so exciting." you know. Um, but I had uh, when I was first studying the archetypes, I had a dream about nemesis, and, which is, for me, is an akka. Oh, okay. And Akka is about being internally powerful and feminine. And I had a dream about nemesis. And she was this very, uh, I saw her in this very orderly, attractive room. Um, She was sitting in a a window seat. She was a very attractive woman, and she was laughing. And I thought, oh, okay, my relationship with Nemesis anyway is kind of lighthearted, so... Mm. (laughs) That was a relief to me because I do like those things. I do like things to be orderly. Oh, yeah. I do like to have a plan, and I don't mind taking responsibility. I think it's a useful thing to do. So I thought that was, that was a, you know, that helped me um, feel good about those characteristics in myself.
0: I think people... Do look at Nemesis's characteristics we're talking about here. um, Saturn, kind of like the opposite of chaos. Chaos is so eccentric and fun and playful. And, you know, that's kind of like, you know, tear down the tower right away. And and Nemesis is all about that structure and discipline. And and that does kind of come off as boring. But when I think about it, the heart of integrity is creating that safety through you know, showing up and doing what you say you're going to do and, you know, bringing order. And, you know, Nemesis for me has been probably the archetype who I've been most connected to. In the way that you're connected to Zeus, I'm very connected to Nemesis because she is indulged in Utu. (laughs) So, like, I have the most possible order (laughs) energy coming through in my life imaginable. Right. And it, and it can be seen as, you know, it, for a long time, it was all about me needing to control everything, but then it got to a point where the next frontier of controlling myself was to control the healing journey, and I knew that the next level of that was actually to jump off the cliff. Right, to kind of surrender to this, but also to take those pieces with me about integrity and and showing up and being disciplined so that I can create healing within myself and then, of course, as a result, in the world, right? Right. Like, I'm tired, like everyone else, and most people want to come home and watch Netflix after work, but instead I'm choosing to do an archetype project podcast because I see value in that, (laughs) and I set my alarm and I... You know, I, I took all those steps, and that's nemesis all the way, right? Yes. She's going to do it.
1: <laughs> well, I did a, a workshop, actually, and um, I, I called it Bringing Order Out of Chaos. Ooh. And it had to do with taking minutes and things. I mean, it's really, uh, because I work with organizations that need that, Um, that that is uh, if you don't have a structure, you can have all the creativity you want, and um, it doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. So, it's um, important that people, and yet too much order, um, obviously, uh, is not that's stifling. Yeah. So I, again, I introduced, this was one of my attempts to teach people about balance. <laughs> um, if you're going to have, uh, if you're going to try to run an organization, um, you need to be able to bring order out of chaos. And um, it's really important that you find that balance.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and rarely do you see that within one person or within one group. Usually it's, you know, a whole lot of visionary action and no ability to <laughs> execute it, or you see just, you know, people taking minutes of of nothing, or like minutes at a committee where there's nothing happening, but yet, you know, they've got all the structure around how many people are need, need to second it, and who who proposed it and do we have quorum and all these things and you're just totally caught up in the process yeah and there's nothing happening
1: (laughs) so I I do think it's important for people to be respectful um, uh, of both sides of it and if you can't do both sides yourself then be respectful uh, from both sides you know right Um, so, yeah, it's, so, the chaos of creativity is framed by order into meaning and purpose.
0: You know, that would be neat to try to offer people like a system of teaming up with their polar mate in a really positive way as opposed to, um, yeah, I don't know, I guess just people naturally gravitate to those who, that those who are like them and, you know, the chaos-minded folks are going to say, oh, boring over there. There's too much order and structure and then the structure folks feel really unsafe and scared with the chaos visionary types. But if they got this appreciation, they could actually team up and work together or within an organization, right?
1: Yeah. Well, the thing is that you're, um, if you, the reason that uh i came up with that idea was because people were always asking why why are things so con- that we're doing here you know that running a meeting or something why are the results basically a lot of the people are, are in chaos because they don't keep proper minutes or they don't when they're running a meeting, they don't have an agenda and they don't get the business done and let people go home. Hmm. And then nobody wants to come to the meeting and people wonder, why are why are things not running properly? Ah. Well, they're not running properly because you don't have any structure. Hmm. And if you think structure is boring, uh, chaos is causing confusion and and people get um, they don't want to be around that. It, the kinds of where people overdo the rules of order, of course, then it's it's boring and restrictive, and people are don't know how to proceed because they're hemmed in by too many rules. So once again, you really have to find a balance between creativity and, and openness to new ideas and how are we gonna implement that implement that and who's gonna do it and you know what, we need to write that down so we know next time who was supposed to do that. Yeah, <laughs> so, totally. But but it's um so it, it just seems to me that you need both mm-hmm. if, if you're gonna make it be um if you're gonna be successful.
0: Yeah, totally. It's it's interesting, yeah, looking at each of those um 10 primary en- energies in terms of their their relationships with their polar mates, right? Like if you take take five of them and their and their polar mates and were to develop some sort of yeah, processes to to have people kind of look at both sides of the the paradox or However, you want oh, to do that. Well, and
1: one of the things I noticed about doing when I have looked at the polar maids is they tend to be internal and external. A lot mm. of them are internal, external. Like right. Isis is very internal and Ra is very external. Right, yeah. That's true. So, again, that's yep. a balance. Mm hmm.
0: Yeah. Very, very neat. Yes. So cool. So you spoke a bit about nemesis. Any other archetypes that you were kind of like, well, are they are they knocking on your door? <laughs> Pick me.
1: <laughs> we kind of, well, we haven't really mentioned Ra and Isaacs except I just did. Yeah. Uh, my Isis is in Kuan Yin. Um, so I tend to find that, um, which is, you know, about, again, that reaching out to the world kind of energy um and and looking uh being able to uh help the oppressed masses more or less yeah so my uh emotional that kind of real emotion um of isis that uh is rooted in that or is. Seen through the lens of someone who is looks out for humanity, and that that was also interesting when I realized that. Um, I think sometimes that um, I've used I I would ask ISIS, and I haven't done a journey to ISIS yet, but. Um, I would ask that more of that creativity uh, and intuition were that I was able to use more of it consciously. Uh, not uh, not that I mind its being used for humanitarian means, but I I don't feel um, that I have enough of it personally. Mm. That, that I tend to always be thinking of other people mm. and that it would be useful for me if I could find a little more balance there and um, and then of course raw is about health and heart and tenacity and it's receptive so I don't I don't think much about it. It seems to me I have a good relationship with Ra, so it hasn't been one of the archetypes I've been um really concerned about. It's one of those that just seems comfortable to me. Right. But maybe if I do some journeys to Isis, <laughs> I'll find out I'm not. Mm. I do think it's interesting that um Isis and Ra are um opposing i uh, sorry not opposing perspective and uh in their conversation
0: yeah
1: and isis is encouraged by chaos and is opposing with nemesis and and it's the opposite for ra ah so yes <laughs> it's it's a tidy little circle those those four have huh. so um Order and health and will uh, encourage each other, and um, then the the emotion and the intuition and the ingenuity um, support each other. But they are opposing health, like raw, is opposed to the chaos. Hmm. So my ingenuity seems to be opposed to my will. Well, that's something I like thinking about.
2: Hmm. Huh.
1: I that's... like the fact that those guys have formed this little group over there.
0: <laughs> that seems to uh, that seems to work. Yeah, you've got a really nice balance of things going on here.
1: Yeah. So I, w- I just thought that was interesting when I realized that. Yeah. I've decided what to do about it, if anything. And that's the other thing I like about the Architect Project, it's totally up to you whether you want to do anything about it or not. Yeah, exactly. There's that, again, that choice you were talking about. I can choose to just say, well, this is the way it is in this lifetime. Or I can say, I am not satisfied with the way this is right now and I'm going to renegotiate my contract.
0: Totally, totally. Well obviously nothing's been too disturbing or pressing for you to need to change those things like with Isis she's so intense and turbulent and crazy like for me I have her in the most possible indulged position Oh <laughs> <laughs> actually um Sam and I Shannon Harwood and I have the have the Isis uh have Isis in the same position indulged in view so at the absolute right. Right. height of Isis's indulged energy and you know that similar Taurus energy and oh my goodness <laughs> to have that much of that you know turbulent sort of emotional moon yeah. energy it's it makes for some intense living
1: <laughs> yes yeah. I'm sure it does.
0: But yeah. to have her like you do in Kuan Yin, receptive, you know, that sort of that compassionate sort of humanitarian energy is tempering that sort of um
1: the intensity
0: the, the intense turbulence, yeah. That's just really beautiful. Yeah. And then you're you've got your son, your raw and in Serduin, so you're just kinda doing the The Sagittarius thing?
1: Right. Yes, (laughs) it Yeah,
0: Yeah, that's very very neat how you talked about...
1: As I say, I figure I have years and years to work with all of these different things and develop relationships with them. And um, so I'm working on the ones that uh, seem to be most... um, Well, where I see that I want changes made. Yeah, I can I can journey to them and and renegotiate some things. Yeah, exactly. But I'll remember not to renegotiate ISIS and (laughs) Debu. Well, you (laughs) know, in my next life, I'll avoid that.
0: (laughs) It's not bad. It's not bad. Like as a as a child and as a young person, I would say I had no idea how to integrate that energy, but now as an adult. You know, there's always a, a a pro and a con to these things, right? Like if you have this nice sort of receptive, balanced energy with an archetype, then there's not a lot of you know reason to to change that, or you know, it can it can lead to complacency. Or you know, I, I'm grateful for the intense sort of ride that I've been on with some of these.
1: That Intense
0: wonderful. energies, right? And
1: like, I, I agree. It's kind mm. of like, oh, maybe next lifetime I'll do something <laughs> different. <laughs> right. Everyone's okay. I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Like I've got this high, high, you know, turbulent emotional type of energy, yeah. and then I've got um, order to the nth degree and Utu, and so it's. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I guess I was, you know, determined to bring some structure to that turbulence and
1: that, that chaos. Right, right. Oh, well, that
0: makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Well, the only one we haven't talked about um, is Hades. We've actually talked about every single other primary oh, archetype, right. so I think I'll kind of, as a, Hades, as a closer, I guess, so just throw this to out to you. It's so interesting to me
1: when we were studying this, I felt comfortable with Hades just in awe but also recognized that this was a very very familiar energy and I'm not quite sure why that is Um, it it has always really appealed to me Um, and I just Well, I suppose part of it, it 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 the whole concept of the call to judgment. Yeah. is something that um, just makes sense to me that we make our own hells. Yeah. And that any time we choose we can step out.
2: Mhm.
1: I just find that that Fits all of my other belief systems. The idea that of you know of a divine uh, spirit—that's the kind of divine spirit I'm glad we have. One that just says, anytime time, I'll come back every day and blow the horn, and yeah. it's up to you."
0: One that what we're left with it. Relentlessly and gracefully, um, yeah. calls to us, and yet gives us the allowance to be in that suffering for as long as we yeah. are going to and be I, until we're ready. I
1: know that every once in a while I'll see that archetype in uh, in something I see in a movie or something, and I'm mm. always very attracted to it. Mm-hmm. The the um, although it's called judgment. There's also this feeling of impartiality.
2: Yeah.
1: Of that it isn't really judgment. It's just your choice. But never, but it's not like you can say, oh, please, please, I didn't mean to. They just look back at you and say, but you did. Mm. And that's, there are times when I wish I could be more like that. um, Because I tend to be quite a soft touch. Uh, although I'm learning over the years, um, but I think that's one of the things that appeals to me. It's not that I don't feel compassion for your situation, but it is your situation which you have created. Mm. So what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Instead of racing in and saying, oh, I can fix that, I'll take care of that. No, no. I've had to learn that, but I think it's, a wonderful thing to learn.
0: Yeah, the rescuer, oh, isn't that so bad? And like, hear, yes. hear this horn, hear this horn. If I blow it louder, will they hear it? It's just when when they're ready, they'll hear it. They'll have ears yeah. to hear it.
1: And it's like, you know, it, this is just... I've listened to what you have to say and nothing you've said really changes the situation. And I have this at my work sometimes. People will come in and they're like, well, this went wrong, and this went wrong, and I can't, and I didn't, and it's like that doesn't change. That has actually nothing to do with what we're here to talk about, you know, (laughs) (laughs) because it's a situation where they, let's say, they, you know, they have totally let down, they have totally not done their job.
2: Hmm.
1: And, you know, the first couple of times you say, "Well, well, how can we fix this? But finally, it gets to be, you know what? If you if you want the job, you have to do the job. And I, it's I'm not, you know, I understand you have these problems, and there are ways to deal with those problems. But the fact of the matter remains, you don't do the things you need to to deal with your problems, and you don't do your job. Yeah. So that being able to kind of without saying you're a bad person or anything. Just say, you agreed to do this and you're not doing it. Mm-hmm. So, the consequence for that is whatever the consequence is. Yeah. Without, you know, thinking, oh, I should have figured... No, no. They have a responsibility too, and they make choices, whoever they are, you know. So, yeah, I really like Hades.
0: Me too, and I I feel... A great deal of compassion for people because I understand that they've been through various traumas and I can, I just understand why they are the way they are. But do I think those certain people should be given keys to this organization or the authority to decide that or this? No. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think you, you, you can, they, I believe in uh, nemesis. I believe in steps, you know. We try this, we try this, we try this, and then the con, you know. Then there has to be a consequence, so um, which is pretty nemesis. Um, but not, not. It's just you need to choose, and um, so yeah, I and it's yeah. I feel very comfortable with that, and and the whole concept of grace. And wisdom and karma and death are aspects of Hades, and, and those, those things just seem to me to, um, to, to make sense to me. Yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. I loved, um, did you ever listen to uh, Alan Watts? Right, yes. In, in your hippie days, he's so great. Yes. <laughs> I just love how he explained karma. How in terms yes. of, we, we you know, we think of it as a before and after construct, which is very linear, but that if everything is connected, then like we we break it out into a cause and effect, right? Like there's a consequence yes. and there was an action that came before, But actually, everything's just connected to everything. So if if the way you're being is this way, then of course it's connected to that thing down the line, so to speak, that is of the same essence or energy, right? Like if you're going about life being a jerk, then it's not not even about cause and effect. And there's some being who's up high in the sky doing karmic retribution and making a choice about your need to be punished or atone for your sins or something, it's it's just about that, you know, it's all one and connected and if you, you know, if you put yourself in that hell, in that underworld,
1: <laughs> then right. that's
0: where you are.
1: <laughs> and really, only you can get out of it. Exactly. So, yeah. But I'll come and blow the horn every day to remind you that it's your choice. Exactly.
0: I love hades yeah he's he's beautiful, so yeah. misunderstood, but we'll keep working to offer the perspective of grace, not that he's trapping people in the underworld and punishing right. them, but that that he's actually relentlessly blowing his horn in hopes that hey, maybe somebody'll hear it and decide to walk out that the door of the cage. It's actually open, <laughs> or you yeah. have the
1: key. <laughs> absolutely yeah interesting
0: yeah and awareness i just i like thinking of the underworld as as that which we are not aware of not as like this you know hell or something right but just that when you're in that state you can't see you don't know
1: mhm oh yes well in the original my understanding is one of the original meanings of hell anyway was being cut off from spirit.
0: Mm. I like that definition. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's in it's, essence what it's, it like, is.
1: Yeah. it's like well, it's like the archetypes. They're there. You just have to reach out. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it and it is a state of hell when you sense that you're suffering and there is nobody to... Because you just don't have the capacity to hear that trumpet. You you assume that there's no trumpet being blown and there's no way out. And you just yeah. don't... You can't see. You're in the underworld.
1: Yes.
0: It's dark well, down I like there.
1: To, I like how you describe that. Not being able to see. And I do... I must admit and I don't know which archetype is responsible for this, but I get pretty impatient with people sometimes. And that's all I have to remember that they they just don't see. Yeah. They just don't see.
0: Yeah, and I I pull a medicine card animal card every year just kind of for fun and to look at the year in terms of a theme, an animal theme and as well as the archetypal theme from this right. from this paradigm. But one, one year, a couple of years ago, I pulled a hawk, and it was all about the fact that those people who can't see should not be condemned for being low to the ground and being unable to see because they have no capacity. But those of us who have the gift of flight and sight and the bigger picture and all of that stuff, all that medicine... That we are so privileged, and that we should never ever use the fact that we can see or or the information about what we see against someone who cannot see, because we're right. the one with the privilege.
1: That is, that's a wonderful. Yeah, I'm glad you told me that.
0: I, that one, that one was a hard lesson because I was really going around doing a lot of that, right? Like, oh, these people should be doing that, and. You know, they, why don't they know this yet? Or (laughs) that sort of frustration projecting onto them what I want them to be and need them to be for me. And, you know, I've done all this work. Why haven't they? Or, you know.
1: Right. Mm -hmm.
0: That's not a place of privilege and gratitude for being able to see.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Even though sometimes the ones who don't see are very annoying.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, And they can be outright... Awful,
1: treacherous. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's, um, and I know it. People are never evil. They don't wake up one day and decide I'm going to be evil. They probably think they're doing the right thing, or they're doing what's necessary, or exactly they're doing what they have to do. Whatever excuse they have, whatever excuse each of us has, and maybe they just don't see. Yeah. Yeah. i exactly. think of them as voles.
0: Voles, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like the story of Darth Vader and Luke, and I kind of think of that as a modern mythology, right? Like, you know, little Anakin Skywalker didn't... Yeah, he, he didn't have dreams of becoming Darth Vader, and yet it just sometimes one thing leads to another.
1: Yeah. Well, I like the Harry Potter, actually. I used to, um, peep, you know, when, when people would say about, you know, how, how, why does Harry Potter always win against Voldemort when he comes up against him? And as far as I could tell, part of it was Harry believed that some things were worth dying for, and Voldemort didn't. Oh. Huh. So Harry Potter always was willing to go the extra.
0: Ah, okay. Neat. That's neat.
1: He put his whole self on the line because he knew that some things are worse than dying. Voldemort was so afraid of dying.
0: Oh, that's a neat cultural myth of our time.
1: So, yeah, fear. Harry didn't have that fear. Harry was totally committed.
0: Right. Yeah. Huh. Neat.
1: Oh, so the archetypes are everywhere.
0: <laughs> oh, they sure are. You can't help, you can't not see them once you do. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Well, we've, if you can believe it or not, we've been at it for almost two,
1: over two hours, so. Oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> I know. It's easy to just get
1: talking about these things, so. Well, good luck editing that.
0: <laughs> oh, we I we won't have to do too much, I don't think, yet this is all pretty gold. Yeah. And and that's kind of what what I aim for. I think two hours is a really good amount of time to really have a chat with somebody and dig in and especially when you're trying to cover a topic as broad as the archetypes.
1: Well that's yeah. As you long as people are justice.
0: willing to listen that long. Oh yeah, that's standard for for podcasts. Oh, okay. Yeah, you bet.
1: Well, I've been taking notes here of things I need to look up, like Carolyn Casey, and and also remembering about the, the why of Zeus, so ah. I appreciate that, I enjoy talking with you.
0: Yeah, me too. I really like talking with with the ambassadors and others who have this, who share this knowledge about archetypes, because it really helps me to understand them a whole lot better, like, I think it was Sam, I think it was talking to Sam at the beginning of 2017 that really, really helped me to understand Zeus, because I could not wrap my head around Zeus, and then as soon as I had a conversation with her about Zeus, and it just made me see him everywhere.
1: Ah, very interesting. And I did know
0: him, I did know him very, very intimately, I just didn't know I knew
1: him. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, kind of like me and Eris. Right? It has nothing to do with me. No, no, no. Oh, um, I guess he does.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Got to bring those shadows home eventually.
1: <laughs> uh, hmm.
0: Cool. Well, any, any other kind of closing no, thoughts I, or things I, don't I had think so. to ask you?
1: Okay. But thank you. I have enjoyed this.
0: Me too, and I'm sure others will as well.
1: Good. Mm-hmm. I'll look forward to seeing how what you do with it.
0: Yes. Well, we'll put it out through the archetype project podcast. So, tell your friends.
1: (laughs) Yes, we'll do.
0: Okay. Perfect. Okay. Well, Susan, take care. Have a great night, and I hope you start to feel better soon. If you're still feeling a little under the weather there, with your well,
1: and you as well. I hope you uh, find that you can get some physio or. Acupuncture, whatever you need.
0: Yes. I'm going for
1: acupuncture tomorrow. I'm sure that'll straighten me out just fine. Oh
0: nice Yeah, I should go get some cupping. I love that.
1: Yeah Good. Okay. Well, you take care. Hi Ryan.
0: Oh, he's he's left the room long ago. He set up the sound and (laughs) 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 Yeah, he'll he'll list he'll get his fair share of listening in when he edits this so he'll
1: okay Well, take care and stay warm.
0: To you, too, and I shall talk to you soon.
1: Okay. Okay. Good night, you Yeah,
0: good night. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Archetype Project podcast. Visit us at thearchetypeproject.com to get to know the archetypes in a deeply personal way. Personal way. Personal way. Personal way.